Welcome to episode 44 of the Becoming Human podcast. How you doing, ladies and gentlemen? On this episode of the podcast, I sit down with my pal, Trevor Kipling. Trevor is a musician and a wood craftsman. He's got an eye for mastery and focuses on the quality of his mind. It was a lot of fun to be able to sit down with him and reflect on his approach to things in life, from woodworking to investing. I met Trevor through jiu-jitsu. It's amazing how those communities can introduce you to people that are outside of your social norms. <coughs> like, for instance, I, uh, I grapple with a pastor and a chef and a wood craftsman. Also people who've hiked the PCT and Appalachian Trail and hell, even a trail in Ireland or Scotland. It's a diverse amount of people that I probably wouldn't have met just working and, you know, staying in the same town that I grew up in. It's just a wild ride. <laughs> I mean, my beliefs are constantly challenged and... Other times, um, supported. I don't know, I never grew up in a community like that. I didn't get a go too deep into sports, um, aside from BMX, but that was in my youth. Since then, it was sparse, aside from partying, I suppose. There weren't many outlets in the small town over in North Idaho. But <clears throat> now that I'm kind of cultivating them, or immersing myself within them. It's <laughs> it's just been a joy. Even in like ultra running too. When people are super tight. And you feel like you belong. Especially when it's around a sense of challenge. I mean sometimes family can turn into themselves. Or um, start to entrench themselves within drama. I've even seen that within like the workplace. Especially in the where there's a lack of challenge in the workplace or did it or interest in the challenge people seem to start attacking each other when you have an obstacle that you must overcome and it either feels impossible alone or requires the entire group effort that's a form of bonding that I really relish in anyway I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with Trevor, and I'm going to play you in with some of his music. He's a fucking killer guitarist. Thank you. 
and that was the thing is when you provide them reasoning and you give them the reasoning for your reasoning teach them how to think if you will it, you can help them structure from that one question of one thing to apply it to everything yeah but kids don't learn when, when people don't really either when you tell them the first time so if you can do that and you take that principle and you point it out right there and you can reiterate it because if it applies to everything it should be present in everything or most things right yeah so then you uh you bring it back up so if you make that like uh, you um, now i'm just thinking of this if you were to make like a topic right of uh reasoning like safety for example and you would um like checking your surroundings you can uh, reiterate that lesson in almost uh every experience throughout your whole day and then that would cause the child to internalize that lesson because the issue that you have with children as you might have seen is how do you get my child to internalize something I'm trying to teach them? And the, the, yeah, so it's kind of experimenting day in and day out and trying to figure out how to do this. Because you can't, like, if my son were to do something like uh, eat candy and he wasn't supposed to, can't just be like, don't eat candy. I'm going to get angry. So, like, because, and if you don't do that, I'm just going to get angrier next time. Like, I'm going to threaten you with fear. Yeah. That's not going to work. So, how do I get you to internalize this lesson? You and I spoke about it earlier that, okay, give him access to a full drawer of candy. Allow him to feel the natural consequences of candy. If he doesn't want to wear a jacket and it's cold outside, so what? Carry the jacket with you. Mm -hmm. Let him go. Let him get cold. Don't turn the heater on when you get in the car. Yeah. And screw But then be there with that jacket when you need to be. And that's what I think my role is as an adult. But, or as a parent, what your role to your own self, though, if you look at it from an adult's perspective, an individual perspective. It's the same thing. That's your role to your own self. Mm -hmm. That's that self-loving side of yourself. I'm, I'm a serious person. I don't try to be. I have a stick up my ass sometimes. He helps. Yeah. Pull that stick out of my ass. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. That's good. It is good. It's, it's helpful. Yeah. But I feel like I have one of mine sometimes. No, yeah. no, actually. I don't know if I'm saying that. So I have the weird thing. I'm wrapped in insecurities. And yeah, I'm trying okay. to yeah. stop that. But I wonder if that's that's the response to that. Like I, I notice uh, Alfred, right? Yeah. He'll tell me that that's a good sweep. Um, when him and I were uh, be rolling, I'd be like, Oh nah, man. I, I just pushed myself down. And I should have done it like this. I could have done this instead. Yeah. I did this. It was a weak sweep. I didn't utilize my hips as much as I could. Like, yeah, I want to do my sweeps just like you, man. You and go like, through all of the negatives. Exactly. It's yeah. like, I'm not very good. I want, I need, yeah, I don't want to make you feel like shit, man. Mm -hmm. And that's where I wonder if the stick of my ass is the same thing. But. No, because mm -hmm. you just said you have a stick of your ass, and I said the same thing about myself but then I was like well I don't know and then you're like well I don't know if that's what it, yeah. I think we just don't really have a way to like really portray what it is we mean with our insecurities because we have to stick up we have to stick up our own ass towards ourselves mm -hmm. but not to other people yeah so we don't let people know we have to stick up our ass <laughs> <laughs> but no because like I did the same thing too like say I was doing a sweep or whatever mm -hmm. or anything like if I failed it or it didn't go as smoothly as I thought, I'll go. So somebody be like, "Oh, nice, good job. That's exactly like right." Just I'd be like, "Yeah, but I need to go like this instead next time because this like it didn't work out like I thought it would, or I had to exert more force than I needed to, and all that." I just 
it's the same thing like the whole insecurity thing is second guessing yourself mm-hmm. and for me I was raised to be humble and regardless of how good you get at something just stay humble and don't ever boast and don't like make pe- people feel bad or anything about like what you're saying because like it'll come around to bite you and what I didn't realize was that as I grew up I think I almost internalized that too much to the point where like I was so humble that I wouldn't let myself acknowledge or realize how good I was actually at something. So when people would come around and tell me, like, because I've had people come up and tell me like how great my music is, for instance, and how great of a player I am, but I would always be like, eh, I'm not, like, as good as... I, it would always be like, no, I'm not nearly as good as yeah. you think I am, blah, blah, blah. But rather than just accepting it and be like, like, thank you, I really appreciate that feedback. Um, I'm not quite as good as I would like to be, but, you know, I'm learning, and I'm enjoying every day of the process. Like, that's more the mindset I'm trying to take now, but before it was always like, no, I'm not. I'm just, I'm, no, I'm not. Yeah. And, like, you just, you'd think poorly about it. I don't I would. Then, anyway. And then you get, you get distracted with the, the negative um, emotion. And then you'd focus on that. It. Yeah. Because you're focusing on that, that's the direction you're going to go. Mm-hmm. Because... That's where you end up. It's like uh, um, when you're focusing on music and then you start focusing on emotion and fear. That's, and, yeah, and you become fear-driven at mm-hmm. that point. And it's interesting because that's where I have my... I always, I'll undercut myself and I have to load, you know, the insecure... Or like people would compliment me, even on podcasts. Like, oh, it's really good. And I'm like, what? What the fuck? Well, I found out when I would go up to like... I'd go up on stage for comedy or for poetry yeah if I were to like do a mantra in my head right or just say words same words over and over again pump myself up fucking breathe really hard and like just put a big smile on push my shoulders back stand really tall and proud and feel like it and I go out there and I'd pretend well what I felt like was pretending the crowd would respond way different and if I would go out there and be like oh it's gonna be shitty they're not gonna like this and like regardless of the material I think I've even done it on the same material before now <laughs> that I think about it and I got a shitty crowd of like just crickets and and a lot of it had to do with what I'd go into it you know I'd start I'd, my shoulders would turn in yeah and then I'd start like looking down I wouldn't meet eye contact with the audience but I feel like if I were to do that the conversation between you and I um, if I were to do that in a uh, rolling with someone in jiu-jitsu, or even going up to the weights and thinking like, you know, I don't know, whether you can ego to one extreme or the other, um, my performance would be hindered. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm thinking about that, I can draw that to a lot of things. Because even with my son, when my son is um, upset, um, what happens if I say, Joey? Don't do that. He'll get way more upset. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Joey, come on, man. It's not something that we do. And if I'm setting an example, or if I'm setting the tone, the energy of whatever it is that I'm doing, leading with that foot, then it becomes that. Mm-hmm. It becomes, you know, an epic experience. I feel like I'm doing good in this situation. And it's so much of it seems to be subjective. Hmm. Is, um, do you experience any of that with, like, weightlifting? Or any of the other... Um, things that you've studied like how has your mood or the way that you've perceived yourself affected your results oh yeah 
yeah, I mean, if, naturally, if you have a negative mindset, you're you're wasting a lot of energy mm-hmm. on that thought process because you know you're just like you literally physically are putting yourself in a position where you don't you're not like how would I describe it like well I mean you can just tell like you like you said when you are in that negative mindset you know your shoulders kind of round forward mm-hmm. your back kind of rounds a little bit your head's like slants down like you just slow and then if you go to try to exert you want to like drive energy into something like you're not going to do it from this almost like wilted position if that makes sense yeah wilted. like uh like for weightlifting especially yeah like i've noticed that because i'll go in somebody be like oh we're gonna do um this weight for these repetitions tonight and or today and i'll just be like uh, i don't think i can get the eight i mean i might get like six i'll just get six and then like i'll be doing them and then i'll get like six and then i thought i, I probably could have gotten another one or I know I could have gotten more though. That's the thing. Is that I'd like go, oh, I don't, I probably can't get that, that first negative association. And then because of that, I can tell my performance suffered because I'll do it, and then I'll always say, man, I'm just not feeling it today. But I could have been feeling it if if I didn't say like, oh no, I don't think I can do eight. Like be like, like yeah, like yeah, yeah let's do it. Like, why not? Let's do ten. Like what are you talking about? Yeah. Eight. Like what's this? And then like you strive for that ten, and then you get eight instead. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's the same day, the same scenario. You have the same amount of energy and the same body makeup. And it's like whether you did six or eight or ten, it's pretty much based off of your mind. Yeah. And that's actually one of those. I talked about P90X earlier, mm-hmm. and that's one thing that he said too. He's like, your mind is way stronger than you even imagine. To the point where, like, if you're doing push-ups, for instance, and you get to that point where it burns and you think you can't do another one, a lot of people just, like, will stop once they get that burn. Mm -hmm. But really, that's when you should just, like, all right. Like, that's when you just, like, push it all out there and you find that you might get, like, one, two, a couple more, like, a few more reps. Mm -hmm. And then that's where a lot of people get that growth response. Mm -hmm. And that, you could almost apply that to anything else as well. Your mindset Mm -hmm. affects your your ability to exert force mm-hmm. essentially and, or or anything like not necessarily it doesn't have to be force but just like a negative it what's it say well, what do they say like it takes more energy to frown than it does to smile mm. kind of thing because like really when you think about it i mean you're still using well actually i can't really say that i was gonna i was gonna be like you're physically using the same muscles but i don't mm-hmm. actually yeah. i don't know i don't looked into it but like for me i would think about it more of the standpoint that if you're negative, you're using energy that could be allocated differently, and with a smile or something that brings you joy, it's almost like it brings you energy, mm-hmm. like it empowers you to want to do more. There's a study that said that your happiness was affected based on your posture, and if you actually were to have you do the shoulders back and you puff your chest out and you sit upright then it affects your entire attitude for the day. And they, they were able to prove this in uh, through study. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's... So, I'm curious, how many push-ups can you do? Uh, like, from point eight, Like, just from standstill right now? Like, yeah. if I were to go and just do them? I don't know. 50, maybe? So, were you always able to do 50, or was it after no. you Do you... So, do you feel the bur- uh, sensation of burning at, at your max? Or are you able to operate with the burning sensation for mm-hmm. a longer period of time? That. 
so, so that's so like remember how was, uh, we were talking earlier about um, the chili challenge right where you would uh, eat a pepper and you're uncomfortable you have a stress response you're sweating yeah um, you, you have pain so how long can you tolerate that I wonder if yes you, you know you build you build muscle and your physiology changes so you're able to uh, exert more power and energy right yeah to an extent, yeah. I wonder how much also, with your ability to perform, whether it's like running, jiu-jitsu, mm -hmm. you know, um, push-ups, uh, is how much you can tolerate that burning sensation. Go grab your own pillow, buddy. That burning sensation. So, like, since you've been existing in the, um, the tired or burning state of, you know, like lifting a weight or yeah. doing push-ups uh, for a year... So does that mean that you tap out or you quit 30 minutes into that burning sensation, whereas a new person takes 10 minutes? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, you're basically establishing your own tolerance for pain. Your mm -hmm. pain threshold, you're adapting to something that puts you in an uncomfortable position. And then because I feel like as you do it, you gain this understanding that that very situation that's uncomfortable to you is what you get the benefit from in the end because you're overcoming that thing that causes that stress so like you get that burning sensation and you're just like oh man this is so hard like i can't do this and then you'll stop and that's usually like the beginner's mentality like oh it just it hurts it's too hard i can't do it or this or that and or they or or maybe they can and they think they're just killing it but they're really only like a fraction of what they could be yeah and then once they continue to do that if they keep that mindset like oh if I can if I can handle this burn for longer and longer and longer then I'll become even better and better and better and then that pain threshold pretty much just it almost gets to a point where you just feel limitless mm -hmm. almost to a, cold, to a certain extent cold showers same thing yeah yeah, I plan on, yeah. after the one I took this morning, like, I plan on doing that now at least, at least a couple times a week. I'll yeah, say that now. Yeah. I'm not going to say I'll do it every day, because realistically, I know I won't right off the bat. You know, what Tim Ferriss would say is, uh, if you have problems brushing your teeth, start brushing only one tooth. Because you can commit to that. That's easy. It only takes a second. <laughs> 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 it's like, well, eventually you'll see, like, eventually, after doing it for a while in the pattern, becomes ingrained. Mm -hmm. Why am I not brushing all my fucking teeth? And then you're there. That's yeah. <laughs> Especially because you're already there mm -hmm. and you're already doing it, so you might as well give it your all. Yeah, exactly. Kind of thing. Big thing for me too. Like I've always had a really good work ethic, mm -hmm. and I would run. One of my pet peeves is people that would say, "Oh, it's not my job, so I'm not going to do that." And like for me, that always used to like that used to bother me all the time, especially working in the kitchen. Oh yeah. And like the guys, like there's just garbage just piled everywhere, right? You know, it's just like like I'll, I'll be cleaning it up and stuff, and then they'll be like, "Oh, like you want to help me out with this really quick?" Because we're gonna. They're like, "Oh, that's not my job." It's like, yeah, I know, it's the custodian's job, but why not make it a little easier on him? Like it's not like he wants to be here doing like picking up after you technically <laughs> it's like why not do at least half of your part and clean up some of your mess that you made mm -hmm. like well that's not in my job description it's like okay then all you're going to ever be is a job description to employers for the rest of your life then yeah. it's like something needs to get done 
if not me, who, and if not now, then when, and it's like, so I've been taking that approach, it's just like, I'll do it. And it gets reciprocated, usually. Yeah, usually. And it might not be instantaneous, and a lot of people will want that instant gratification. If they're going to do something that they wouldn't have normally done, they do it for somebody else, they kind of expect something back. You're right. If I should correct myself in that way, because I've seen a trap in which you, if you lead uh, with the foot or with the expectation that you are going to receive something back, uh, oftentimes that's destructive. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And that's that boils down to intent, like we were speaking about earlier. It's mm-hmm. like if you're only going to do good for someone else because you're expecting something in return, then you're really not doing good at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the end. In what, in your um, personal experience, what is the value of you know, doing good for others? For you, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be everyone. That's hard, because that's a question I haven't really asked myself yet. Mm-hmm. But I have found that I feel better about myself when I help other people. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's a very fine line between being selfish and not selfish. It's almost like if you're helping somebody just so you feel good, then it's selfish. But when you understand that you're truly helping them because you care about them, or at least for me, like that's the way I would see it. Like, then I don't know. It's like a different feeling. So you you're not know, expecting anything at all. You know, like the um, the the feeling of the yeah. You don't get fixated on the result of being a better person or whatever because you helped the homeless person or you helped your friend, and then you're all high and mighty, and then that in and of itself can become a trap. But I'm thinking of like the uh, mythological figure of the succubus. So where you're taking from someone. And in a relationship, if you were to help to, uh, the distinction between selfish and self selfless. So if I were to help you, and I, to get something from you, right? And I did whatever I could to get that thing from you, whether or not it actually helped you in the end. If, or if my help was even meaningful to you, as long as I got what I got, right? Yeah. That would be a destructive form of um, community engagement. Or, I mean, that's the only word I can think of it, but yeah, helping others to just be a destructive form of that. Whereas, opposed to it's not like leeching from you, not taking from you, but just being a, a communal part of one another. Yeah. Like, you see that in martial arts because you have people who are high level training with really low level people all the time, and they get moments of insight out of it, and they also get bonding. It's, there's always a, a natural reciprocation. Yeah. But no one is. Or, people are but it is a trap to get focused on that to the point to where you're only rolling with black belts or you're only rolling with purple belts and you're white belt and you're avoiding you know everyone else mm-hmm. or that purple belt's only going for white belts for instance because you're you know that you know you're, you're basically taking from them at their own disadvantage mm-hmm. but yeah yeah it's just there's so much it's, it's tough to look at it as gains but there's so much more to gain by giving yeah like in the end but that's the thing is a lot of people if they're going to give something they expect something back mm-hmm. in return and it doesn't <clears throat> really work that way and a lot of the successful business owners and investors and people I've been like really looking into they they all kind of they all kind of regurgitate this fact where it's just like I just want to help other people and a lot of times they'll do that through things that they've learned 
and successes that they have achieved. And they're like, I want to help other people experience this because it will help them to enhance their lives and in turn it'll help other people and then some way or another shape or form it'll come back around and help them out because even if it's something as slight as that person going yeah like i i was going through a rough time in my life and i talked to this person and we had like a really good conversation and like he just really helped me out and i didn't give him anything in return but like a lot of people will meet back up on a podcast for instance and then they're like, yeah, I just wish I could repay you somehow. He's like, you are right now by with what you're doing and how you're coming on here. We're having this conversation and you've helped all these other people. I hear that a lot like with some of the podcasts I listen to. They'll have people come on. They're just like, oh, you've helped me out so much. And I just always wanted to repay you and stuff. He's like, you already have. Like, you don't even have to worry about that because it's just it all comes back around and it truly does. And it's like what they say with karma. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people believe in it. A lot of people don't, but in the end, like, for me, I just think, it's like, good things happen to good people. Momentum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And bad things happen to bad people. It might not happen when it should. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But, you know, inevitably, it will. It does. And then you can't just let that throw you off. Do you practice expectation? Okay, so like, almost like from a visualization standpoint, in Mm -hmm. a way? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it used to be more like I would <clears throat> I would be getting ready to go do something like lift, for mm-hmm. instance, and I was expecting to do a certain amount of reps and a certain weight, and then depending on I used like I used to think, <sighs> dang it, man, I'm getting I'm getting brain down. No, you're <laughs> <laughs> no I just, I would go through the motion and then I would be more reactive upon however it went. So I guess I wouldn't really visualize me successfully achieving what it was I wanted to achieve. Mm-hmm. It was more like I knew that I wanted to do that that day and I expected to get the results because I was simply going through that motion. Okay. So I expected to get the results that I wanted simply by doing what I thought I needed to. But I've come to learn that simply going through that motion won't necessarily give me that result Mm -hmm. if my mind isn't in the right place. So if I'm expecting a result by going through a motion that's not driven through a visualized state that helps to drive more... um, energy and focus into that activity that I'm doing, then essentially that is the defining factor, that visualization. So yes, now, now I practice it. And in hindsight, I realized that is somewhere that I fell short, was I used to more react upon how I did that activity. And then, so I would go get ready to lift, and I'd lift, and then I might fall short. And then I would go, I would make an excuse or justify it somehow. And I would feel probably bad if I fell short, obviously. But then later, I would essentially visualize myself making that and like successfully getting the lifts that I wanted to. And I was more likely to actually get that. And I actually would, but sometimes I wouldn't. And that's the thing, too, is so easy to like go into a negative state when you went through the trouble of visualizing it you know like oh they say all you have to do is visualize and then you will achieve it if you actually and so you know 
that doesn't always happen, mm-hmm. but you have to be aware of that and just know that, like, hey, maybe something was off that day. Maybe you just ate something you shouldn't have. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you didn't go to bed when you should have. But that that can't deter you from coming back and visualizing mm-hmm. and striving just as hard as you should the yeah. next day. A feedback loop to be able to be better yeah. the next time. And that's just it's where the discipline comes in. Because mm-hmm. it's not always going to be, like, the perfect day, no matter what. And you can tell yourself it's going to be, and that's good, because that might kind of prepare you it'll put you in a state that like is more apt to actually foresee or not foresee to actually have a better day I suppose but that's kind of like there's a fine line between realism and pessimism and optimism I think they're all kind of related but it's just they're all interconnected where if you can put yourself in a perspective within each one Mm -hmm. then you're more prepared for whatever actually does happen. Come to the point where I'll do meditations and then I'll, I'll visualize, not like if I'm doing a competition, I won't visualize that competition. But I'll visualize the feeling of rolling and for like jujitsu and, um, or more like kickboxing actually. So like, I try to uh, imitate what it's like to, to be sparring with someone. And, and in that moment, my body's calm. So my mind can get that, can do work. And so I'm able to actually intellectualize a lot of it and mull over, like, you know, how should I react here? Or it's almost like watching a movie and coaching that person or something. But, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. so, like, that's why I brought that up because um, when you were talking about helping others, it wouldn't, you don't, we wouldn't want to do it with uh, expect, expectation of having something in return. Mm-hmm. And when I caught myself, I was like, oh, yeah, you shouldn't have any expectation ever. I'm like, wait a minute. No. It, as with everything we've talked about, with polar, with opposites, and Goldilocks zones and stuff, you can't throw the baby out with bathwater. Expectation has its uses, and that's mm-hmm. what I was curious in how you implemented it in your life. And that was it was interesting because like I've had times where I would just um, go through the motions, and I wouldn't innovate on my study. So uh, if I was doing kettlebells, I would just be like, all right, kettlebell time. And then I do kettlebells, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I my form wouldn't have progressed, um, the and I would feel off, if you will. Like I wouldn't think about my body and be completely present. So if I didn't on my way to ke- doing kettlebells, if I wasn't thinking about okay today I need to do this and that and this, I wasn't expecting a specific out- result. If that makes any sense, then I wouldn't do as well. Expectation has been useful for me in some outlets. What I was talking about with expectation earlier was more like not to help somebody expecting them to give you something Mm -hmm. or necessarily like like if I was going to expect something, I would expect like what can I get out of this for myself? I suppose not dependent upon them. Mm -hmm. Like, Like. not like, oh, I'm going to help this person and I expect them to in turn give me this. It's not a transaction. So I'll still use expectation for like, I'm going to help this person and I expect that I'm going to learn a lot from this person. So I expect that I am going to grow intellectually and I will have a greater perspective 
and it'll enable me to make better decisions later in my life. And I will be more powerful intellectually and emotionally. And I'll be able to not only alter my own path and get myself that much closer to the vision I have for myself, but also be more apt to help others in the, in the end. And it's just like, just the fact that I can help somebody and with the expectation expectation of me in turn helping myself during that process. So it's not like it's, it's not a transaction. It's not I give you my time, you give me this in return. It's more like I give you my time, you're welcome, kind of, see you later. And over here, my expectation is that I got this out of that, independent from them. Dude, you just literally opened all that for me. Because now... That yeah, it makes a little more sense. That makes a lot. It's, it's, it's hard for me to describe. No, that's that's perfect. That's why I was trying to ask, like, unpack that idea of how you were uh, presenting the expectation, because, um, like, I've had that's the most valuable thing that you can get from someone or something it is what not to do, or any of any lessons that they may have offered otherwise. And it's interesting that you make that transactional distinction to where you're not like they're giving me something in return for the time that I gave them but this experience is valuable in the end yeah because it, then it becomes more of a you're is it like um, obsessing about earning the trophy as opposed to what you learn from competing yeah 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 definitely I haven't actually heard that analogy but yeah I mean if you're focused on the prize then you're missing out and like an, an analogy for me, like with investing, for instance, a lot of people talk like, I'm going to work for this employer, I'm going to have my 401k, I'm going to retire at 65. So I'm going to work my ass off, I'm going to be miserable until I'm 65, and then I can enjoy myself. It's like that reward, but rather than enjoying the process, rather than going, okay, I'm going to give them this, I'm going to learn all of this, I'm going to take it all in and grow and develop and that's what I'm getting out of it. So I'm going to enjoy it. Right now. I'm not going to wait. And it's the same thing with that, with helping somebody else, too. It's like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you my time. I'm going to do whatever it is you're asking of me. Well, to an extent, you know, obviously. Um, <laughs> but then, rather than just being like, I'm going to... Whatever. Like, you essentially just know. That even if they didn't give you anything, even if you never spoke to that person again, ever, you got an infinite amount of like plus side and valuable. Yeah, because you are the only one that really. <laughs> How much joy do you get out of learning something? Of learning something? Yes, out of out of insight. Insight. Yeah. That's a whole different more, thing than more, learning. Something. Maybe I got that off. Like. No, no, no. Like, no, it makes sense now. Oh, okay, yeah. It's just now that you rephrased it and specified. Because learning something is great, mm -hmm. but when you have that insight and when you can start to apply it and like, especially when you like self-reflect and you look mm -hmm. back, and and things in retrospect, once you like learn something and you look back and you can start to connect mm -hmm. the reasons you did things, and then you start to understand how important that thing you just learned actually is. Mm -hmm. So if it's like a, say you learned about a behavioral instinct that puts you into a crappy scenario, like anger, for instance. If you just jump to anger, well, 
you might not realize, like it obviously sounds bad, and people that hear, if you jump to anger, it's not gonna have a good outcome. Like people hear that and they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. But like, once they truly learn that statement, not just hear that statement, but truly learn it, and some people have to experience it, some people can read or view someone else experiencing it, but once you understand truly, like within yourself, that having that angry approach will have a negative um, outcome, then you can actually look back on your life at all the times that you have been angry, and you can go, oh, I reacted to this person this way, in a very angry state, and that caused me to hurt them, and that caused our friendship to end, our relationship to end, or that big argument to happen, or whatever it was, you know, you can actually start to see these things, and then you can start to, once you kind of realize that you've truly learned that thing, you understand like, oh, I've heard that statement a thousand times, and I never thought it meant anything, until I truly learned that it did and that's like once you get that feeling you're like man there's a lot out there that I could learn truly learn and then you start to evaluate some of these sentences and quotes that you hear from the, like these really successful people and then you you go hmm what made them say that and then you evaluate it more and you like seek out what it was that pretty much motivated them to do that and then you look at it and you're like wow I understand a new principle, a new concept, something that will that I can basically apply to my own life that I should have applied in this scenario, this scenario, that scenario back in the day. And it's exponentially expanding. Yeah. And yeah, and, it, and then it drives you to want to learn more things and that's when you start to seek out like all these different well, for me it's books, but you know, a lot of people just school or YouTube or whatever it is by any means do what works for you but yeah it's just once you learn how to learn and that's what I mean by learning how to learn it's you you can truly understand what some of those phrases mean because mm -hmm. a lot of those phrases have been around for decades and decades yeah like just yeah. years and years and you just, yeah mm -hmm. and uh, I yeah it's so easy to, to like take them for granted it, it, and it not is. even understand them truly it's because they are so built into our society um that a lot of the things that we're discussing at some point in time anyways for a vast majority of people are subconscious if that makes sense like because the people that were you're pointing out even like a what, thomas thomas edison uh great thinkers uh, not andrew jackson just some philosophers I'm trying to think of what I can't right now. Yeah. Um, I'm really bad at pulling up names. It's like, I yeah. Can remember, I can remember their lessons, but never their names. It makes me feel bad. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm like. Maybe I should just spend one night a week just really. Yeah. But um, then I'd feel weird, though. <laughs> um, it, it's like, yeah, for a lot of people, it's subconscious because it, it's uh, infiltrated or it's painted throughout the society, whether it's religion, before we had TV and all that other stuff. Um, you would hear about it in books or uh, what, allegories, right? Like sh the shorts. Maybe it's allegories. Aesop's fables. There we go. Like when these short stories that explain like a, a relative truth mm -hmm. or like um, like an overall lesson that you can grasp. Mm -hmm, symbolism. Yeah. And, and often, not everyone uh, would talk about like the 
the step behind the symbolism, but you know, few people within our society or in societies before us would. Mm-hmm. You see that with like Courage Cowardly Dog, like cartoon shows and stuff like that, and movies, and even Star Wars. Because like, I want to read uh, Sam Campbell's uh, Hero's Journey really bad. <laughs> I haven't heard of it. It's like Harry Potter. The reason why Harry Potter is so successful is because he fits a particular archetype. The reason why Star Wars is so successful because it fits a particular archetype. There's like all of these um, components with like having to do with goodness and Pinocchio is the same thing where you have to um, overcome great adversity, great struggle mm-hmm. and you go through and it's actually the same Star Wars and Harry Potter even maybe even in the Bible um, to where it's, it, it's a formula and those movies that are produced, those movies do really well and it, it's like where they go through a particular amount of struggle, and then there's um, people who like counsel them. There's the affectionate, like uh, I think, sister, and then there is the um, the blunt and the crude brother, and it, it's basically having to overcome it. But anyways, the reason why they're so successful is because that archetype resonates with us all. And so, like these things that we're talking about right now, uh, in regards to our own lives, and uh, just thinking about you know our experiences are something that is expressed within symbolism and um, fiction as it is talked in philosophy and, you know, in different principles and practices throughout history. Yeah. But you even see it today, though, in our movies. And it's it's interesting because that's... So what I was trying to say is that a lot of people are aware of it in a subconscious way, not in a conscious way. And But more and more today, obviously, because of uh, different forms of uh, media that's... Um, accessible by everyone as opposed to uh, um, CBS putting out what they think would sell mm-hmm. um, there's some very interesting things that are becoming popular now so you could take with Tim Ferriss uh, and the likes of them as well and even Tony Robbins right yeah because his self-help books and stuff and his thing's been immensely helpful for a lot of people oh yeah but in and that's um, something we were talking about earlier which I'm deeply fascinated about and I'll bring it up again with people who are sexually abused, um, there's a 70% chance that the children will not sexually abuse other children as when they become adults. We were talking also about films in the 40s, 1940s, where the men would beat the shit out of women when they would do something right, mm-hmm. and then they'd slap their kids in the face. We don't do that today, by any means. People are now coming away from spanking. There's a thing that, and I don't judge anyone for spanking teach their own yeah. thing, but there's even a thing now where even hitting your dog is uh, realizes just to some behavioralists is inappropriate because mm-hmm. that's fear based. So like the amount of um, knowledge that we were having on the internal landscape of our own mind, not even in a conscious way, just like naturally coming out um, through conversation and entertainment, um, you see that that we're becoming aware in a different way, but maybe not because you have like stoicism and stuff, and they're talking about the exact same thing that everyone's talking about now. And so I question if it's like a resurgence in that way because of, you know, the internet and all that other shit or, I, I don't know. Like that, so that's why I'm getting excited to learn more about like history because I, I want to know those points where same, it, same for me. it consumed I, the culture and then it left the culture. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the part, yeah, that fascinates me as well because mm-hmm. I've never been a history buff. Neither have I. Like whenever, yeah. whenever somebody started spouting off stuff, even if it was the most basic thing you know that you should know honestly as an american or whatever it's like i wouldn't know it and i would just be like man this is not my forte but now like looking more on 
that side of it, like philosophy mm-hmm. and psychology and how like some of the greatest thinkers back when there wasn't the internet, you know, these people literally dedicated their lives to the concepts that they were speaking about and writing about. And they had a following of all these other people because they would pretty much grasp what they were discussing and then they would all work together. They would all experience it and they're like, wow, we're on to something here. They would practice that. And just the fact that these people that I'm hearing from today, like more modern age, that have kind of helped me kind of start to transform my thinking patterns. Like they usually say, most of them all do, these aren't my thoughts. These have been around for centuries. Like the greatest thinkers around back in the day had nothing except knowledge. And then once it became just like well the internet like anybody could access anything and then it started just it got so overpopulated with all this crap (laughs) basically to put it lightly (laughs) yeah it's just like you know everybody they'd go oh we can make money from this Mm -hmm. and it became less of an educational resource and more of a marketing sales type of thing and um, entertainment and all that, which is, you know, good in its own right, like, obviously, but at the same time, a lot of people have lost touch with that more, uh, I guess, delving into the deeper meaning of life, mm-hmm. kind of, and they actually say the average person, they said man, I don't know if it's man or woman, if it's even sex dependent at all, but they say the average man doesn't realize... What? Sounds cool when you say the average man instead of the <laughs> average human. <laughs> like yeah, the average man doesn't realize what he is meant to do, what he truly wants to do for his happiness and joy and like his ultimate fulfillment in life. Until his mid forties. And that's kinda of where that that's kinda of where that midlife crisis came from. Mm. Everybody has it. You know, everybody has it. People think just because somebody has money, they're happy. They're uh on the investment podcast, I talk about whenever they do start talking about more of the psychological aspect of everything, they always bring up these two characters. I don't remember their names, but the one was, he, I think he had like $23 billion or something like that. That's what he was worth. And he made a couple poor decisions. And when the market took a dip, a crash, it significantly dropped to like, I won't even say that number yet because I'm going to pull it up soon. Um, but because that market crashed and he was wrong about everything that he had predicted and he had publicly made himself wrong and everybody, like, you know, shunned him for it and stuff. And he just, like, he was humiliated, basically. Um, he committed suicide just because he lost money. He still had $9 billion. $9 billion? Yeah. Whoa. He was still, like, one of the richest men and the entire world. It's <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, but just that, you know, he failed, essentially. He felt like he did. Mm-hmm. Like, that guy wasn't happy. Like, no, no, nobody would kill themselves because they were wrong about a decision and lost a little bit of money. Yeah, it's just feedback. He lost a lot of money, I guess, yeah, but look at how much he still had. Mm-hmm. And, like, anybody in the right... On the other hand, there's this other person who has... Also, he's like a billionaire or whatever. And his goal in life was to die without a penny. 
in his pocket. He wants to give it all away to people and donate donate it essentially and just and he has a whole plan literally laid out mm -hmm. for like once he gets to this like these years or this health mm -hmm. um, health deterioration level or whatever he's like I plan to give this much to this and this much to that it's like because he, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah I mean he doesn't Completely he's not all about the money he just wants to do well and what a lot of people I used to have a kind of negative look on money like a lot of people but they would see somebody like rich right and they would have this envy and it would just eat away at them and they didn't realize that they would just be like oh that guy like he probably doesn't really deserve it like what did he do to get it or he got lucky or whatever but when you start only a fraction of them really do mm -hmm. and if you start to look into their background and how they are where they are you come to realize like man this guy deserves everything that he got because he he took the action he did what needed to be done and he or she did <laughs> no but but when you look at it like from that point it's like man like just that that negative association with somebody that has that that makes you think like oh well you must not be a good person if you're rich like because I come from like we didn't have a lot when I was growing up I had the love of my family though that's more than a lot yeah you know, that's just great and that's the biggest asset that. and that honestly that is a bittersweet thing for me because it was kind of like it was essentially like you can do whatever you want and that's and you have all the support from us that you will ever need mm. and at that point I was left to my own in the sense of like I have to figure out what I want and so I asked myself that question for a very 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 extremely long time and I still do you know but the thing is, I'm coming a whole hell of a lot closer to <laughs> yeah. that answer. But in the meantime, I have all these steps that I'm taking in that process. But it's just like, as opposed to being forced on something. Mm -hmm. Like somebody might be raised to take on an occupation that their parents did because they wanted to stay in the family. Like doctors, you see that all the time, oh, you know. Yeah. And, um, the Indian children. And, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and just like, then they'll find that they're unhappy later. Mm-hmm. And, like, the moment that kid says, no, I don't want to be a doctor, though, then their parents are like, no, you you have to. Like, we're paying for your school. It's a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. And some of them will just, like, succumb to that. And they will, okay, and I'll do it. And then, and then, yeah, and then 20 years later, they're in their 40s, mm -hmm. probably, and they're like, man, I need to do something else. I'm making all this money, but I'm unhappy. Yeah. And then, who knows, they might, they might move away to some foreign country and go help, like, like, under privileged people basically live a better life help pay for their food and vaccines and whatever it is that they would need do something um, that an experience that is uh, far more valuable than any monetary gains they would have had otherwise or because it's becoming selfless at that point mm -hmm. and you realize that by helping others you're helping yourself Exactly. It's a similar concept we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. There's a quote, too, that says, As you reach your hand into the darkness to help another into the light, you come to find that it is your own hand. Whoa. Yeah. Who said that? You I don't know? remember. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My mind goes. But, no, I've been thinking about that a lot lately because, and that's what I mean, like, now I, I want to help people. Mm -hmm. I really do, and I... I have a thorough enjoyment in doing so, but every time I find that there's something very strong with that 
whole scenario that we did. Like something strong that I gained from it personally, for my own development. And that just like enables me to, or I should say empowers me to want to continue that. Mm -hmm. And just like, okay, well, I want to help all these other people. Because like, it's almost like you're afraid to confront your own thought processes and who you are as a person. But almost subconsciously you see yourself in these people mm. that you're helping. And then when you help them through it, you're really, you know, you're doing it for yourself. You're helping yourself. Yeah, but not on a selfish mm -hmm. standpoint by any means. Not with the fixation of the self. Because you literally genuinely want to help that person and you're doing it for them. And you're being there for them. Expressing empathy, genuinely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you don't even think about yourself at that point. So you're not expecting anything in return, like we were talking about. But in the end, you do get it. And so that's where your new expectation lies, is you expect to learn something from this person. Mm -hmm. And then you just kind of choose your experiences based off of that. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, you are incentivized with that from there on out and I would almost <laughs> to an extent because you still don't want to like go oh I could learn this from this person and yeah that makes sense if you're like um, you take people and specifically target people for, for certain lessons yeah because that's where it gets a little more selfish and yeah, but you can do that for your own you know like professional purposes mm -hmm. obviously seek mentors and people that are doing what it is you want to be doing mm -hmm. like typically like 20 years ahead of you or so and just like go absorb and see the way they operate is there anything like in terms of your experience in religion that has been helpful and applicable to your life from growing up um do unto others as you will unto yourself mm -hmm. and that's the only thing i can quote of the bible but to be honest, I've lived by that principle to an extent. Yeah, you try your hardest. To, to an extent, yeah. Like when it comes when it comes down to the real things in life, mm -hmm. like the deep stuff, I'll keep that mindset. Like obviously, I was a little turd as a kid, you know, and I would like I might <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah like flick a rubber band at somebody's eye accidentally, <laughs> accidentally across the across yeah. the hall or something. But like I don't know, just but when it boils down to it, yeah, that's the big one. Like mm -hmm. if I don't want somebody to treat me poorly I'm going to treat them well mm -hmm. with respect and that's how I've treated everybody just respect yeah at least initially yeah, yeah that's, so that's another thing um, I'm interested in how you organize that there's um, for me personally I would give people like ex anticipate that a person um, is good good nature right and I would act on that expectation on anticipation um, and then entail proven otherwise and then if someone did something that uh, broke a limit with me and broke one of my boundaries um, I'd warn them and then if they were to break it again then I would be le I would leave I would not um, be around that person I mean that's very general it's obviously it changes you know person mm -hmm. to person but there was a I, I encounter that because some people in my life make poor choices uh, frequently mm -hmm. and they'll ask for help it's like well if I deny you help then I'm just you know your food for fodder if I do help you I will get hurt because in the end this hasn't you know worked well so at what point do you stop that cycle if it is a cycle at all and there's a radio lab podcast um, like the NPR thing or whatever and it was called um, 
tit for tat, and it was a algorithm. So they, it was a prisoner's dilemma. So there's two prisoners. Um, they were thrown into jail for I don't know ten years, and if one of them ratted on the other, then they'd go free, and the other one would go for oh no five years, and then it, but if one of them ratted on the other, then the other one would go for ten, and the other one would go scot free, right? But the dilemma is, well, what happens if they both rat on each other? Then they're both in there for ten years. Yeah. And so what? And you're not knowing what the other prisoner is going to um, say in interrogation. So what do you do? And the algorithm ran a tit for tat program. That was like, or they ran several. The they ran several algorithms, and the one that worked the best, the one that got the least amount of negative consequences, was called tit for tat. And what it would do was if for every, it would assume the best out of the situation, right? It would be operate altruistically. So it would never rat on the person. But if the person is ratted on them, it would rat on the person. Because mm-hmm. then from there on out, you are a person that rats. They were betrayed and then they felt like they had to almost get back at them. So they ratted also. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and that's, so that's a question where I have um, for you, is what would your relationship be to someone who seeks your help and they... Take advantage? Yes, take advantage. I was going to say defaulted, but that's, we're not talking home loans. What would my reaction be to that? Yeah, how would you how would you handle that? And if you've never experienced this before, then I guess it would be a new point. I mean, I have on a very minor level, mm-hmm. I suppose. It was like <laughs> a similar... You grew up around here. Mm-hmm. The same. Yeah, I grew up in Wally. I was born and raised. Like, obviously, certain drugs have taken off around here and that stuff's stolen from me and stuff and you always let them back in your life with all the apologies and stuff you get and everything and you try to do everything you can to maybe help them like you wanted to initially and like they asked you to initially but it gets to a point where it's like like you said you know you might you'll you'll brush it off you're like because you genuinely care and you understand that like the value to them and to even yourself or like the relationship or the friendship it's worth a lot more than whatever that little Mm -hmm. betrayal was and you can kind of start to use that to justify you helping them again like it's like oh this person stole this thing for whatever it's worth a hundred bucks or something let's just say it's like yeah that sucks i worked i spent a hundred dollars on this thing you stole it from me but i still care about you like you're in a crappy place Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. like you know, it's like, I, you kind of, and that's where that empathy comes into. It's like, man, like, I've never experienced anything that's gripped me so hard. Like, I know, like, food was a vice for me, but it's nothing compared to, like, a real, like, oh, yeah. grip, like, by any means. So I can't truly sympathize, but I could kind of put myself there. Mm-hmm. And, like, I like to think, I'd like to think that I would never steal from somebody. And I still, I, I think I wouldn't. Honestly, I would rather rot and die in my own room alone than go and basically put someone else in a poor mm-hmm. state by me by something I did but at the same time like if I'm doing something that literally alters the way my brain works like my morals might just take a back seat you know yeah. Who, who's to say so like if I can kind of almost try to put myself in that situation where it's like maybe maybe they're just literally unable to control themselves and they did this to me yeah i'm gonna give you another chance because you're obviously in need of even more help than i thought 
it's like, yeah, let's see what we can do. But if it's something like that, man, it's like sometimes it gets out of your hands. Because mm-hmm. we're not, I'm not an expert. Yeah. <laughs> not at all, man. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I feel like I'm a little kid in school just finally learning how to read, honestly. Exactly, man. I feel like I'm a little kid in the rocket ship learning all the, like, <laughs> learning one control and then there's a panel of a thousand. It's, yeah, and that's, that's the thing, too. It's like sometimes... Yeah, I was about to go off on a tangent. <laughs> Either way, there's a there's a point where they do it, you know, X amount of times, and you honestly do have to cut your time, mm-hmm. like to because it's dragging you down. And it's that opportunity cost we discussed. Mm-hmm. Like you could be helping others, or you could be benefiting your own life or your family's life, or just instead of not letting them take away mm-hmm. from the things of value and so the a similar thing with my son which would be you'd set your limits like don't steal from me right and then they did that once or you know how many ever times you allowed it right and after a while like okay i cut you off you're gone i can't have you in my life um that's can you make a distinction of it as an impersonal thing and still like like you're saying before which, you know, they're in this hard spot in their life. This is not Joe. Joe is just having a hard time right now. And once I see that you are different, once you are, no, once I see that you are making different choices, then I will allow you back in my life under the same limits. No stealing from me, you know, don't piss on my clothes. And, <laughs> like, and then that, that doesn't have to be, I don't think, unsympathetical to what they're going through. In I think that could actually be um, a, very, a kind thing to do because you remove your relationship or the, the idea of drama from whatever they're struggling with. Does that make, so like if he's, if he's, if my son's getting angry at me, maybe this might confuse things. <laughs> if my son's getting angry at me and he's like hitting me and shit, the wrong thing to do would still be there with him. If I'm the one who made him angry, just be right there, right? And to be like, no, don't do that. Stop hitting me. Stop hitting me. Just reiterating that shit over and over. Telling him the limit that he broke and not to break it again. And then he just keeps breaking it in that loop, right? The best thing for me to do is to get him away from me. And to go get him to be alone. Mm -hmm. To where he can wrestle with that... Scenario. Yes, scenario with himself. And when he has handled that scenario, I am available. And I think doing that... But in terms of life, you got an alcoholic, you got someone who's taking pills, and they keep stealing your shit. And then once you see that they have overcome that struggle, because it's their struggle that they are responsible for overcoming, you can help them. Because they are now, in their own mind, prepared for the help. Because you're not trying to change them at that point. Like, that's, a, I think, an a important distinction. We're not talking about, like, helping hungry people or anything, but it's more like a personal, like, immediate community help, whereas, like, the difference between trying to fix someone and offer them guidance. Yep. And I think that's a balance between the destructive and the constructive thing. The reason why I bring this up is because everyone I've ever talked to has dealt with an addict at least one point in their life, and I think it is really helpful to, for my own self, now, um to further my understanding of that distinction because sometimes I find myself very confused and paralyzed. Yeah. Well, it's so easy to overthink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, I keep saying, you know, I like to help people and stuff, but 
I would never tell anybody, hey, I'm going to help you. <laughs> I'm, I would never say that. That's yep. the most judgmental sounding <laughs> sentence in the world. Like, hey, you have this thing wrong with your life. Like, come talk to me. I'm going to help you fix it. So like, that, that's essentially what you're doing when you do that. So. so would you help someone or would you accept someone's request for help? Would that be it? No, not even. No. Because I wouldn't deem myself an expert mm. by any means. But I feel like I know... I shouldn't even say no. I just feel like I've been introduced to alternative ways of thinking mm -hmm. in a regard to where if somebody wants deep down in themselves to change and they know that they are hurting people uh, that they care about or whatever, like if they if they want to change, there's ways to do it. Mm -hmm. And they just, they're probably lost. They don't know where to look. And... That's kind of where, like, if you did want to help that person, if they came up and asked you for help, like, that that might be tough because you're going to think, like, well, what do you need help with? And th they're going to think they might need help with, I don't know, food or living situation. Or, or Yeah, but they don't understand probably that it's just their mind. Mm -hmm. Like, they need help with their thought processes. But you can't say all oh, your thinking is off. Like, you don't think right. They might think <laughs> that they're, like dumb or something yeah. like nobody really is you just you only know what you know it doesn't but could it be that our culture is entangled in or no is attached to the way that we think because in the end we aren't oh for sure yeah we aren't the, we aren't we aren't the, our thoughts at all like if I wanted to jump off a bridge I'm not suicidal like but I had the thought like I walk up to the edge of a bridge which just has happened before yeah I want to kill myself look at the edge of a bridge like, what happens if I jumped off Nope. Let's walk away. Like, you know, I've, I've had ad adverse thoughts like that before. Well, and some people can't look into the future mm -hmm. and have the foresight of if I take this action, then there's going to be a consequence. And that consequence will be my death. And then what's going to happen after that? Oh, these people that cared about me and loved me, they're all going to be hurt. They're going to wonder why. They're not going to know why. Um my little brother that has all these little problems going on is going to wonder and he's going to consider that an option now because he realizes that's an escape like he doesn't have that guidance now what happens if your little brother who you want no harm to come to your family but you commit suicide out of your own selfishness or not even not even that out of your own misguidance out of your misalignment within where you should be going in life it's like that one simple thing you did might lead someone you care about to go down a negative path mm -hmm. or anybody else like somebody it's kind of like the thing where like you could be walking down the street and you see somebody and you just smile away or you say you greet them and then like they smile back but they didn't look happy at all beforehand and then like there's been times where they say like thanks i really needed that like sometimes people like are on that breaking point where they're just ready to go overboard and then just one simple act of kindness can just pull them back and like and that that's just one of those small things where it's like if somebody asks you for help or you want to help somebody it's it's not necessarily that you are going to do a certain thing for them in which they'll get that out of it it's more or less like for me anyway it's been to more like understand them mm. and also really seek within myself 
as to how I can relate. And then I'll think about scenarios that I've been in that are actually really similar, maybe. Or even if not, like, just essentially, like, what kind of things helped me to think outside of the way I was. And then you can kind of use your own uh, life's trials, essentially, and errors and stuff to essentially show them how to do the same thing. And then because they want to, and because they sought it out, or even if they didn't, but because they still want to and they understand that someone else also went through that like negative time, that they're not alone in it, that someone else has done it and come out of it and is prosperous even sometimes, like they go, oh, a lot of them will have that realization, like, oh man, I, I could do this too. I just need to figure out how. Just like when you realize that the people who are very successful or great or whatever thing that you like to study originally struggled with it too. Yeah. 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 Or even when you were saying about the puzzle, if you can see the picture of a completed puzzle, a human is able to solve the puzzle much quicker. Right? Yeah, or or at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you don't have a vision, then you're only ever... Or if you don't have the picture, you know, like you can plug and plug and plug away... <laughs> But, like, who's to say you ever finish before you give up? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if you are if you have this puzzle that you could complete, <laughs> like, with an image pretty quickly, and then next <clears> thing <throat> you know, like, if you didn't have that image, like, oh, are you going to sit there for 10 hours <laughs> on your ass <laughs> yeah. on, this, on, like, a wooden stool or something? <laughs> just do this? It's like, no, you're going to get up and walk away. I'm going to go do something else. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, if you don't know how to put your puzzle pieces in line in life, it's like... You might want to walk away. Yeah. And that's where stuff can get pretty rough. <laughs> You're off the path, so to say. He's falling off the horse. <laughs> <laughs> when you walk away. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. It depends. It's, it's yeah. all subjective, man. It's like, that's, that's what sucks. There's no fact, really. I feel like there's no fact that even exists with the mind, except for the fact that you only know what you know. And there's so much more out there that you could... It's never ending. It's like rabbit hole upon rabbit hole in in what you can master or what you can understand. Um, And that's an interesting point that you bring is showing people, um, you know, how you have come to understand the things that you know. Not what you know, but how you've come to understand them and the progress that you've made in your own struggles and trying to relate it to them. I mean, obviously, therapy, that's what they do often, Mm -hmm. is... <clears throat> instead of being direct, being very indirect in their guidance. And I found that that works, works a lot better and teaches me, gives me a lot of insight, my own self, mm-hmm. um, by consequence, because I get to see someone else, it's like another version of my mind working out a different experience. And like, like in relating to someone on that teaches me more about my own experience. Mm-hmm. And I've had uh, instances in my own life where I've tried to... I've tried to change people, <laughs> and it, it's yeah, it's caused more destruction even on a personal level yeah. than I could have imagined. But that's when I get so um, cautious when I see like uh, either religions or people who no people operating within religions, another institution, or even alone. Um, like this is the way that something works it's mm-hmm. very it can be very seductive mm-hmm. so I don't know why but it can be well because it's a desire that you've wanted before mm-hmm. it's something you've 
you at least thought you wanted. And this person is essentially saying, like, come with me and I will give you what you want. So naturally, you kind of want to go to that. Mm -hmm. Just like someone, like you said, like, okay, religion or even a loan or whatever, you know, you want this money. It's like, here, I'll give you this money. You see that with car salesmen all the time. Yeah. It's like, zero credit, and like, bad credit, it doesn't matter. We'll, we'll finance you. Yeah. It's like, it's like, man, if they're willing to take a risk on somebody that's defaulted, like, three loans or something, like, obviously they're getting you somehow. Yeah. What do you derive the most pleasure from? I'm really passionate about learning everything I possibly can about that, because... I someday want to build my dad a guitar. Ooh. And like, he doesn't even know that. But I just want to. Because he has... I won't, I won't get too detailed with mm -hmm. it. But I basically am putting all this energy and money and time into this thing that I love. It's music. Just if I could group it into one thing, it's music. That's how I've always expressed myself. That's how I've... Like, that's how I've written, you know, really like... Almost like lyrical even within my journal and stuff and it's like I'm a family man too and I love my family and where I came from despite the ups and downs no matter what like because of them you know also and just the pleasure what are the three things I get the most pleasure from? I guess having the freedom to be able to pursue them honestly like I can I can do whatever I want, and anybody else in the world can, and that that's such a bittersweet thing because they don't realize how much they're missing out on if they stay stuck mm -hmm. in this little hole. But, like, for me, I don't know, guitar building, it sounds so petty to a lot of people, I imagine. They're just like, oh, cool, like, he's just taking some chunks of wood and he's throwing it together. But it's like, for me, the feeling I get, the emotional response I get with music like when I play an instrument, when I write lyrics, when I sing with my crappy voice, uh, like when I hear my dad play, when I hear my mom play, my little sister play, my oldest brother play, when I listen to musicians in general that I aspire to be somewhat similar to in the future, not similar to, but just like people that I look up to, um, just the feeling that music brings me. I basically instill that into guitar building, where it's like, I want to build an instrument one day that's going to inspire this kid, or this upcoming instrumentalist, or this, somebody that I've always listened to all my life that wants to play my instrument, you know, or something, you know, like, they're going to create art with this piece of art yeah. that I made with my hands. And I started doing that because my dad taught me how to play guitar as a kid. And, like, if it, he had never fronted me a guitar, which I paid him off with my paper out money, oh, by wow. the way. <laughs> but, like, had he never done that, then I probably never would have played. Because I wasn't one of those people that would tap on tables or, like, I didn't really even listen to music that much, to be honest. But, like, I just picked it up one day. He showed me a couple chords, and then from then I just, hours upon hours every single day, it seemed like I would just do it. And had he not done that, I wouldn't be as good of a player as I am today. And I wouldn't have this desire to build instruments. And I wouldn't, therefore, have the ability to inspire others to create beautiful art with something that I made. And it's almost like, and I already, I haven't felt this yet, but I know that when I hear somebody play on something that I made, 
that's going to be an ultimate feeling. Like, I imagine a coach that trains a kid in jiu-jitsu, for instance, like how Matt feels when one of his students, like, gets a win. Mm -hmm. Like, for me, it'd be like, this person is making music with something that I made for them. And it's just like, I know that's going to be it's gonna feel so good, even if it's bad music. Like I don't really care. Like, like hopefully it's good music. But but you know, regardless, it's like this person is. They basically instilled a trust that I'm going to provide them with a product that they want or they love, and they do, and then they express themselves on an emotional level mm -hmm. through that, and just to like entice that response alone is worth it so I guess that doesn't answer your question at all so that does though because like so there's a couple things that I like to touch on is that you at first you're saying that it might seem so trivial because you know it's just uh, blocks of wood right and you're turning it into a guitar like that, as if that were all you're doing but I would say no it's very profound um, not be specifically because of what you're doing but because everything has the opportunity to be profound as you see with jujitsu, there's a ridiculous amount of ways to manipulate the body. Or with powerlifting, there's a ridiculous amount of depth within, you know, these compound movements. Mm -hmm. And you're not just lifting a weight up by, by any means at all. It, with your form and your mindset and then the day in, day out and body awareness. Um, and how much of you, you, you put into that how much that means to you and then your environmental or cultural casing which your father that story is a very beautiful story man and like to be able to have that moment to be able to like deliver that to him to be able to give that to him with all you know wrapped in your creativity your inspiration diligence how far you've come it's just that end product maybe not even end product but you know that thing that manifestation of it and like I can understand that at least I'm trying to. Maybe I can I can empathize with that. And it's very meaningful because we all have it. I think that's an archetypical. <laughs> <laughs> I learned a word. I want to use it. Please, please. <laughs> Journey or experience that we have. <laughs> yeah. And you know it. Oh, all those things, overcoming and uh, realizing the things that you, you do, you do enjoy. And it could be something so silly as, like, anything, man. And it, but it's that, that thing, though, that having those passions. And regardless of how they're integrated, it could be of many passions. or you know, Yeah, and I think I find it, if it's outside of just myself, though, mm -hmm. that brings a lot of that. Okay. that feeling that passionate feeling to it because yeah it's something that I do alone mm -hmm. pretty much and I'm probably going to for a long time like or most of the time where it's like I, when I play music and write music I do that alone when I'm out working in the shop I'm working alone like I'm alone all the time but once I make that thing and put it on to someone else and then they essentially it's they give me money for it yeah that's cool and all but I don't want to become like a production facility or anything. Like I don't want to just produce guitars like little cookie cutter things for people and just, yeah and get money for it. Like I want, I want to make art for people, and in turn they're almost going to deliver me art mm -hmm. through that as well. And it's like because I, I don't know. I feel like we've lost <coughs> a lot of that, like that artistic. 
like, like artistic culture, quality? the culture of art, as far as like the importance of it mm-hmm. within a culture. Like, yeah, it's it's really important. Still, people wouldn't really argue that that it's important, but n- it's not as big of a part of culture. more the the consumption of art, right? Uh, I see more people. There's not a lot of meaning with it. Yeah, oh, I suppose. Okay. Like, there's visually astounding things that are just like you know, wondrous, but mm-hmm. people are going to scroll through it just as quick as the next image yeah. on Facebook or something, you know. It's like when you can tie tie a true value or meaning to that art, then it becomes more it becomes more than just a, something to look at or something to listen to. It's, it's more, um, I don't know, there's a deeper meaning to it. And it instills you to kind of almost like not enables it inspires you I guess to think outside the box kind of like to create something from nothing and then someone else creates something from nothing those are like two things that basically work together at that point to meld into one thing that might not have ever been and at that point you can kind of almost delve into what inspired that and what brought that about and then there's meaning to it it might only be meaning to you and that person or even just to you, but the fact that there's something beyond just a visual or a like an audio stimulus, I guess, just it makes the activity or exchange far more valuable. Yeah, and, um, and that in turn like makes it a passion, mm-hmm. essentially. Experience that with like uh, writing and performing and stuff is finding these things. A lot of these things that we talk about. Um, and also, like older philosophers and stuff like that, books that I read that I I'll bring to people, my friends, like, oh, I don't want to read that, too dense, right? And that's where I love is just trying to uh, synthesize information into an entertaining and captivating way that has this symbolism in it. And, like, so being able to, like, share that with people and then watch it have them reconsider their own thing, I guess, is almost a collaboration of thought. Yeah. Using an art form as a vehicle. And my intention isn't to, obviously, I'm not like, I want you to think differently. I just, I enjoy this. Mm-hmm. And whatever, like, people would get out of this thing, it's, I, I enjoy to see as well. Yeah. You know? And, but, yeah. And so that's, that's where I've come into writing. I'm trying to relate it to you and woodworking in some way. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you love to do it, right? Yeah. And you can find yourself spending time doing so, even when you didn't expect to be doing so, I imagine. Yes. And even if you're in a bad mood or a good mood or whatever, you might just be like, man, I just need to go right. Or or whatever. Or like you have something that you're building towards, a goal, and you're just like, in order to achieve that goal, I need to go write some stuff down. I need to go organize some thoughts. So like... For me, it's the same thing too. It's like I want my shop to be built up so I can start actually building the stuff that I'm envisioning. And actually, I've been like planning a lot of it out, and now it's taking those actions. Mm-hmm. And so it's essentially the same thing. It's just I can't do that if I don't have pretty much the foundation. Mm-hmm. And by you with writing, you're essentially building your foundation every time you do that. Mm-hmm. 
and you just repeatedly are building upon it every time you go to repeat that mm -hmm. that repetition it's creating a solid foundation eventually you're going to do something really big with your writing you're going to release something that you're extremely proud of or you're going to get an outcome that you desired or even one that you didn't desire but you'll learn from that and then you'll adapt and yeah. then change and then you'll be back even stronger and then you will get the outcome inevitably that you want mm -hmm. through writing or whatever it is you continue giving your attention to so for you to relate that to the woodworking thing it's the same thing for me it's like mm -hmm. I, I, I'm a big procrastinator and like you are? yeah and you I'm, are yeah and I'm put no I am too but yeah. man <laughs> <laughs> anybody who knows me <laughs> yeah and uh, um, well so like I haven't even built a guitar yet I've been talking about it for a while I have a lot of plans like, and I, as far as, like, actual drawings and stuff that I'm going to build, I even have, like, full-scale designs that I've already made wow. and everything. And, but I've been building up kind of my garage, too, and doing some woodworking projects because the woods I want to use later are going to be, they're, like, expensive what, exotics. What kind of woods? Like, rosewoods or prefer? Um, Did you use any of that? Cause it's Rosewood is actually quality. really common for fretboards, yeah. Oh, okay. But it's becoming, I think, I don't want to say outlawed, but it's becoming endangered and you can't use certain species of it. Is it why is that? Is it because of the sourcing? Like well, for for example, like Brazilian rosewood, uh -huh. I think the trees, I don't, don't quote me on this, <laughs> but for some reason... We're, we can't use as much now, okay. and I believe it's probably just a declining population of the rosewood tree. Maybe it takes a long time to grow. Yeah. I'm not sure. That's just or maybe what, like what I would assume. Harvesting in the jungle or something. Yeah, possibly. But the woods that I really want to use though are buckeye, burl maple. If you've ever heard of that, you should definitely look that really? up. That sounds really cool. It's like really abstract looking in its natural state. It is. Yeah. Oh wow. There's a lot of woods like that where they're like rotting mm -hmm. actually rotting away or they're knotted in really awkward ways but they're all unique there's no one piece that's ever the same what, what wait what are those woods called uh type in buckeye burl maple and do seven string guitar after that too because yeah. you'll see some cool stuff in there and then um i'll also put this up in the show notes for you guys and you guys can find it on the website too what oh my gosh <laughs> that is cool wait so that they didn't paint that that's just the natural grain of the wood it's the natural grain of the wood wow and there's other types a whole bunch of other types All right. for for people out there I, I guess the way that I describe it is if you were to like pour milk on a plate and you were to like <laughs> put black food dye on it and the dye would like disperse everywhere that is cool but it's all the grain of the wood yeah. what or a figured claro walnut I actually just got that's a word yeah type in figured Oh, figure. I thought it was faker. <laughs> Claro. C-L-A-R-O. Walnut. And that, I actually just got some of that for Christmas. My brother and Alf actually went in on it, got me a really nice top. Oh, wow. So that's going to be probably the third guitar that I build. But basically, I've been doing all these smaller woodworking projects in the shop to essentially hone in the skills that I'm going to need when I'm building with like higher quality woods and everything and rather than go through material and have a lot of waste and lose a lot of money that way like I'd rather just like make some little projects but it takes it takes longer to get started obviously because I'm putting more time into this other stuff and, but I mean now it's since I've been logging and journaling and figuring out exactly what my plans are 
now I've accumulated and I've got that foundation, now it's pretty much like, let's go. Yeah. Let's do this. It's go time now. And so it begins. It hit the, ground the journey. Running. Essentially hit the ground running, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the, the amount I've learned, like I could walk through every, like I shouldn't say every, but mm -hmm. I could, if I were to just build one right now, I could without looking at another reference. I could just do it. It won't be nearly as good as it would if I were to actually, obviously, like, still educate myself while I did it and, like, look through resources. But at the same time, I've already gone through it enough times, like, through education and just visualizing it and actually going through that process enough times where it's like, I feel like I've already built one. I kind of talk as if I already have too. Yeah, I thought you have already, and that's what. Yeah. It, it, and yeah, it's just because of the way that, like, yeah, the way you talk about it. It's like, and all the skills that it takes to do so, I've been honing. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to feel unnatural for me to do it either, and it's going to be more of a, more of a pleasurable experience, mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. Like now, instead of. Because I find a lot of joy in building these projects that I've been oh, building. You do. Ooh, yeah. It's nice to know that too. And now to know that I'm actually going to be utilizing all that I've learned from those projects and actually incorporating that into now what the initial um, inspiration was for in the beginning was the guitar building. And now I can essentially apply all of this that I've been building to this now. And I can focus that and direct it. And I just know that I'm gonna hit the ground sprinting, mm -hmm. essentially. It's it's a good feeling. I can I'm almost lost for words right now because I'm excited. <laughs> it sounds like it, dude. And I like your approach at that because you basically it sounds like you did a study of woodworking. And then yeah, I have a lot of references. <laughs> I have some on the way right now from Amazon. <laughs> really? Too, yeah. Oh yeah. Constantly. Dude, I love woodworking. When I got, yeah, when I got deep into it, I was starting to build furniture. Uh, um, yeah, it's just because my grandpa, he's built guitars and uh, furniture for a number of years. He quit the post office, and then he started his own woodworking uh, job. Does he still build guitars? So Yeah, he still builds guitars, mm -hmm. and so this is funny. It's ironic in a lot of ways. He, he won't build the same thing twice, Yeah. because his whole point is, is like his expression of creativity, yeah. and he's not there to just like mass manufacture things. And he builds like all this, like he built his own house. It's like this three-story house, and like um, the the window seals or whatever they're all removable mm -hmm. so you can remove it from the frame of his house and then you can clean them down individually and put them up but he's like zebra wood and Ooh. yeah that's such nice it, it is like zebra wood fretboards and stuff oh, something on the back there. So, um yeah it, it was it's interesting but the the feeling of like uh woodworking is it's very meditative oh yeah when you were doing like all these small projects, would you focus on specific projects to work a particular technique? Oh, definitely. Okay. Yeah. And um, how did you understand what techniques there were to learn? Would you would you read many books in the discipline of woodworking and then discern the common techniques that were of value? Not with that mm -hmm. skill necessarily. I mean, if it's, if something is more subjective, like a a thought process, then I would look kind of like that, like multiple books and try to find the patterns with the way they're doing it. But with the woodworking, I would kind of just look for people that are doing what I want to inevitably be doing. So there's a guy, Crimson Guitars, he operates out of the UK, and I forget, oh, what's his name? Ben Crow, I think it is. But he, um, he 
is pretty much where I would like to be someday. And I actually plan to hopefully contact him someday and get a hold of him and actually fly out there and visit cool. his shop. I'd love to do that. And that's I've written that down as like they say shoot high for your mentors, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can get to them, like figure out a way. Yeah. And if they say no, stalk them. No, no, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to do that, but no, he's been a huge source of it because he mm-hmm. posts, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours, probably thousands of hours of content, wow. and you can see every single little minute detail. So I'll do that for like inspiration and just overall guidance of process, mm-hmm. and then books for like the more refined stuff. Like if I want to like really learn. Specificity, I suppose, when it comes to like the intricate work, like being more fine dialed with, for instance, like honing tools to cut right, to cut square, or not to leave chatter and stuff like that. And just those are things that could could ruin a project if you don't know what you're doing. And that's kind of why I took on those smaller projects, was so I could like learn how my tools are going to react to certain en- environmental changes. For instance, like if you have too much humidity in the air or the temperature is not right, you know, wood moves, it's alive. Mm-hmm. And if you're working with like warped piece, for instance, like you have to basically index the side and then redimension it. And like, if you're in the, but you want to be in the state of environment that you're going to be building in. Oh, okay. But it's like, if you try to do these things with these tools and then you're altering them and that environment's not right, or if you mess up with the tool and take a gouge out or something, like you're missing out. You're, you're essentially learning from mistakes that yeah. you didn't have to make. Okay. Or at least not with that expensive of material. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you can just go through and learn from other people that have done it before you, whether it's books or videos or, I mean, anything. Yeah. Just, mm-hmm. you that's, seek it out. and then That's the beauty of life, though, is trying to identify the people that you want to learn from and taking their principles without having to experience the failures themselves, therefore saving yourself from that suffering, maybe. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah really, yeah. And you just, you have to keep that sense of humility to understand that you don't know it all. Mm-hmm. And even when you think you do, you don't. And that, like, somebody out there knows more than you. So you have to be able to just go, okay, I'm going to really listen to these people and I'm going to learn from them. And then once you feel like you've learned all you can from them, well, reevaluate because you probably haven't. There's more you can learn, but then you can start to move on to other people and learn more too. And it, yeah, it negates that chance of you ending up in that state of suffering or whatever it is, like mm-hmm. in a in a state you didn't have to go through. Yeah. You could have avoided. Unnecessary. Yeah. And then you can um, hopefully find yourself in some innovative form of insight within whatever study that you're practicing. Oh yeah. As you go along through growth. Yeah, as long as you don't lose yourself and fixate. Yeah, you're about to say fixate. As long as you don't fixate so much on what they're doing and make that be a rule book for mm-hmm. you. You just you allow it to guide you, mm-hmm. but you don't lose your passion because that passion is what's going to kind of lead you to innovate. Yeah. 